Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Whoa, I was starting to get nervous. I was a little, <clears throat> a little late. How you doing? <laughs> Welcome to yet another show. I know, I think it's Monday too, but it's actually Tuesday. It's July 6th. And uh, that means Susan should be joining us. Hello, Suze. Not? <laughs> well, okay. Can you hear All me? All right. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, sorry. Yes. The phone was on mute. <laughs> the phone was on mute. That could be a problem. Well, yeah. Okay. I can hear you. And uh, yeah, things are getting off to a, you know, it feels like a Monday. Often Mondays are our days for snafus, technical glitches. It's like over the weekend, gremlins come in. And so it just uh, still seems like Monday to me. I know it's Tuesday. Okay. Oh, so what are you saying about? I'm the one that's saying, oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we both had very busy, very busy uh, holiday weekends. I think when last I spoke um, on the show, I was saying how I'm not into holidays and I don't have anything planned and the heck with it and the fireworks and damn it and blah. And I was very grinchy and grouchy. And then I ended up having a bunch of people over and this and that. And yeah, so I'm, yeah, whew, I'm tired. Susan was up in, uh, in Green Bay with her entire family, uh, which now numbers three grandchildren and two in-law, uh, son and daughter-in-law and, and my mom. And so, yeah. And she was, I imagine sort of the one in charge. So that'd be exhausting. It is. But, but yeah. here's the thing. I'm so out of practice. I mean, yeah. you know, first of all, this is the first time and it sort of boggles my mind. This is the first time that I have been together with all of those people in the same place, unmasked, unsocial distanced uh, yeah. since December 2019. Uh, 2019. Yeah. Isn't that something? Now, that is not to say that I haven't seen them all separately, but this is right. the first time that we could all be together. As wow. a family. And it was just sort of, we just sort of, we didn't do anything but be together. It was really sure. quite lovely. And, yeah. you know, and usually my, my, my son and daughter-in-law and my daughter, I mean, they all take pictures nonstop. I don't think they, we even did that. I mean, we took a few here and there, but not like we usually do. Well, because you were, you were living it and not, we were in uh, that, in, in the proverbial yeah. moment, moment. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Yeah. I know that I, I, as I was saying goodbye to some the folks that, that were at my house, you know, and grabbed and hugged one. And I thought, geez, this is just so, yeah, I, I'm sure that a lot of people had, are having these moments now that, uh, some of us are venturing back out into our lives and, um, that's just really, really nice. So it was a good holiday for Susan and for me, but we're still recovering. Well, yes, because I mean, when everybody left, then there were, uh, eight beds. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, all of them. And 4,275,000 towels. Yeah. And, you know, and yet more dishes and, uh, you know, it's just amazing. And then there's always the problem of now my dog doesn't like to walk with just me. Oh, right. Because he expects a crowd. <laughs> well, yeah, these things. Well, so the dog was in heaven. And I just want to point out that, as you mentioned, all of those things that have to be done, I wanted to what, what bumped into my head was women's work. Because I and I don't know I, I, if there's some guys out there, you know, protesting what I just said uh, that you know they end up having to do the 500 million towels and change the sheets and the beds and and uh, take care of all of that. 
Yeah, wow. well, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick up for my son and my son-in-law. Well, I know you are, but Susan, the men I know. Yes, I know the men you know, but the, these men, my son and my son-in-law, and I do not think that they are unusual. My son does all the cooking. I mean, every he well, does all the cooking. He does all the shopping. They have a real yeah. division of labor in that house. In my daughter's house, you know, same thing. I'm watching. I'm watching my son-in-law be the most spectacular father. You know, so oh, there's that all word. right, all right. You and, said you know, spectacular. Yeah, I all did. Right, I said there's it. that word. Done. I'm done. All right. I'm, but I'm just all saying right, that's, that's not it. fair to men. And I'm and heaven forbid I should be the one to say that. I'm usually the one that's saying it. But that I have to tell you it. it the numbers and research still say I'm right. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I was. I can't tell you how grateful I was that I raised my children the way I did because otherwise I would have been dead by the end of the weekend. As it was, it took all of us working to get it all done. Um. Yeah. And 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 it's it's generational. It's it's you know. Baby boomer men are much, much less inclined to feel that they have to pitch in, as was uh, certainly the men of our parents. Generation. Oh, no. In, in, in and my it, house, it, the, the way my marriage worked, it was that Eric did what he did, which was um, psychoanalysis, and I did absolutely everything else. <laughs> That's right. And that, yeah, it just occurred to me. I don't mean to be crabby, but, uh, you know... And I and I do think of like all our family, uh, you know, celebrations, uh, um, you know, Passover and and when we're together at Thanksgiving. I'm sorry, even in our family, it is overwhelming still that the women are doing the preparation, are setting the table, are are thising and matting, are cleaning up, and the men, not so much. Just saying. I'm just saying. And I, you know, women, boy, women have a tough time in a lot of ways. Hey, I saw the greatest movie. You got to see it. Um, it's a documentary, sort of, concert film, um, Summer of Soul. Oh yeah, I've heard heard, been hearing marvelous things yes, about it. Yes, as it just came out. Yeah, and it's um, wow. I mean, I just wow. First of all, what's amazing is that we might never have seen it. Um, it, it this was uh, a series of concerts held in Harlem outdoors uh, in the summer of '69, and it was filmed. But it never saw the light of day. No one ever saw the film. It was stuck in a box in a closet somewhere. I mean, just the raw footage. Not Nobody had ever done anything with it. And so that is what? That's 50 years ago, more? 52. It's finally come out. And we want to thank uh, Questlove for... Somehow he got his hands on this raw material. He's a rather then, remarkable uh, human being, Questlove. Yes, is. he is. And I'll tell you, the the documentary uh, introduces you to others and reintroduces you to so much talent. You could, you can go nuts. It was, it was just unbelievable. This is six weekends. Um, they had a concert of, I mean, the people that were there, the acts, I mean, you think of it. Yep. They were there. Uh, Stevie Wonder, BB King, Nina Simone, uh, Mahalia Jackson, uh, Gladys Knight. Uh, I, it just, it, it was unbelievable. The Staples singers. Oh, my God. Mavis Staples. She's my favorite. Uh, un, just extraordinary. So if you want to travel back to 69, and what they do is they weave in the history of, you know, of that time as well. And uh, did you know really about Mavis and uh, Mavis Staples and Bob Dylan? 
And no. Yeah, they had a thing. They really had a thing. They did? Yeah. Where was and, that? And, Where was and that? I mean, to the point that, you know, I, I, they they really were in love. Um, the, I, I, it was, well, you I, don't know that. Well, I was listening <laughs> to Mavis Staples say it. That's why I'm saying it, <laughs> Lynn. I was listening okay. to an interview with there. Mavis Staples. Okay. okay. And she was talking about it. I'm going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, it, she was, um, they met very early on, be, be, you know, when he was just starting and, uh, and uh, she just thought his, his, she thought his music, they was so incredible that he was writing songs to be sung by black people. That they, he was writing better spirituals and songs reflecting their life than they were. Oh, no. Don't say that. That's what she was saying. I'm quoting what she was saying. What, and she wanted to sing his music. So they start, they, and they did. They recorded a lot of his music, but that started a relationship between the two of them. They became very close. That's all I'm saying. Well, there's a bit where uh, with her and Mahalia Jackson that's uh, just, oh, dear. Anyway, I want to thank um, it. it, uh, I mean, Jesus, I want to thank Milt for telling me about it. And um, it's in theaters. And I almost I didn't go to the theater, but it's also on Hulu. But I think in a theater, it'd be pretty, pretty remarkable. Well, the anyway, would be better. I'm just not ready to that. go to a theater yet. Yeah, but some, I was talking to friends who did. They said they were one of six people in it. I'm sure. So now's the time to go to a theater. Yeah, oh now's God. probably the time Nobody's to go. There. Right, right. Nobody's there. So there is that. And uh, just wanted you to know it's. It's playing at the Manor and at Lowe's and I forget what else. Um, oh, gosh, there's so much stuff to talk about. Um, trying to figure out where to go from here. How about how about this odd thing that I found in The Week magazine? So some of you will have seen this, too. This Australian woman, Susan, had, uh, had to have, uh, I think, a tonsillectomy. I didn't even think they did that anymore, but they had to have some kind of tonsil what surgery. Do you mean, of course they you, they do tonsillectomies. Well, they used to do them all the time. They used People to just routinely take them out of children, but they don't do that. And so now grown-ups get very sick with tonsils and a, and a, and, and a tonsillectomy as a grown-up is far more painful than a tonsillectomy as okay. a kid. Well, anyway, so go I don't ahead. Know, it, it just said tonsil surgery, so I don't know. But uh, her name was Angie Yen. She's 28 years old. She's a, a you know of Asian uh, descent, and she emerged from the surgery speaking in an Irish accent. I've heard about these phenomena. I've I thought I have too, but I can't think of any other specific. She came out. And she, this age, 28-year-old Asian who's never been to Ireland and has no reason to talk in a brogue, is now speaking in a brogue. And it's a result and, of the anesthesia, we think, I would but think. But they don't know. And the doctor said that she might never get rid of it, that that's now how she might speak for the rest of her life. Well, the brogue is sort of charming. And, and, I know, and, but and if we'll, you're... <laughs> Jeez, that would be, I mean, I am sorry. Wow. Poor woman. It is a charming accent, but, you know, she's Asian and Australian. And that's a wonderful accent, too, the Aussie accent. I don't know what she sounded like before. Well, yeah, one wonders. Like she's from, yeah. So, yeah, that kind I guess weird stuff can, can happen. Just saying. I wanted to pass that on. Well, I also, think maybe in three weeks when the last of the anesthesia is thoroughly out of her body, she'll sound how she used to sound. But the doctors say that's not 
necessarily was going to happen. What do doctors know? They made her do this in the first place by accident. <laughs> God almighty. God, just saying. Um, I read such a moving piece by um, uh, David Axelrod. Uh, yeah, who, I read that know, too. Did you read that? Yeah, I did. And it was, it was a um, David Axelrod, you know, the guy who sort of Ran Obama's the, campaign. Oh, but, uh, sort of did. I mean, technically, it was David Plouffe, but yeah. But Axelrod, the the thinker behind the campaign, and and uh, he turns out has a a forty year old daughter who has been severely disabled since she was a child, uh, having suffered just untold numbers of epileptic seizures that messed up her brain and, you know, just stunted her. Um, and, you know, other than, I didn't know that about him, but, but he, he wrote about her and, um, how he and his wife despaired of what would happen to her after they're gone, who's going to care for her and how lonely she was because she, she, didn't have friends and he was so worried that her life would be just sitting alone in a home somewhere. And then he says that they found a, an institution, um, probably sort of near where you live, Susan. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know where it is? I think I do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and this, uh, this institution, uh, was just a godsend misericordia. Uh, and he calls it a community for people with intellectual disabilities in Chicago. And he it totally changed her life. I mean, she had friends, she had activities, she she was able to do some work and jobs and have value. She goes swimming every day. An incredible place. She goes to restaurants with her friends. Friends walks in the neighborhood. She's a life. But now he says. Because of very well-meaning policymakers, frankly, on our end of the spectrum, are now sort of fixated on the fact that large institutions like she's in are bad places. And well, just parenthetically, many of them are. And it is yes. and yes. it is precisely because of the bad places doing despicable things to people with you know limited capacity that that yeah. the movement started. But what his point is is it's never all, and it's never you know either you know you shouldn't be forced into you can't have this. If there's a good one, you should be able to have it. It's not one size fits all. And what's happening is Medicaid funding, which these places would rely on, is starting to be focused only on small, you know, group homes and uh, and other things that have replaced this, you know, a Which, by the way, small is no guarantee no, of, of, of safety and, in fact, it, it, could make it easier because there's fewer eyes. So yeah, exactly right. So his point and why we 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 fail to um, we fail in this regard all the time. We get fixated on an idea and we make it simple so we can, you know, win people over. So it's either or. And he says it shouldn't be. Let me, I'll read his words here. Um, He's talking about when, you know, the horrors of some of these institutions were uncovered. Uh, There was a decades long battle to just close those things down. And many of them were run by the state. You wouldn't want to be in the state home. Right. And, um, and then the movement to put people in small apartments, in homes, in residential neighborhoods. But then he says this, but now the ideal of that has hardened into dogma. And that's what happens to us. You start with something and then it becomes dogma. 
And he says, the dogma is all large communities are bad. All small neighborhood-based groups are good, which is, of course, absurd. The size would determine the quality. And, and this kind of rigidity that, that sets in uh, for all of us, I think, dealing with uh, issues is, is just so damaging. And, you know, as he says, one size fits all is usually not a good answer. Um, and he says, and what is painful is that these changes are being promoted by good people trying to do the right thing. Many are my friends and former colleagues. And I, I thought it was a really powerful piece. And no, maybe he reached some people, I hope. No, and, and, and it's, it's worth examining that you, you can't just go running with, you know, what we thought was a good idea like 30 years ago and never re-examine or look at the results of what putting that policy into effect actually did. What were the pros? What were the cons? Was it worth it? Should it be tweaked? What should happen? This happens across the board, and it doesn't have to be libs or conservatives. It's all of these things. Policies shouldn't harden into dogma. That, that is the point. And these things always need to be reexamined because right. life isn't static. Why should a policy be static? Right. I don't know. It's just like, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know. But we do that um, a lot. We do do it there a was lot. Also, <clears throat> there was also a piece I saw that's totally changing the subject. Um, that um, had a headline that just, you know, immediately, it's one of those things you, you see a headline, you think, what? And you have to, you have to read it. That's a good headline. Um, it was in the New York Times magazine. And the headline was, how to undress someone quickly. Was it was it flagged by every teenage boy? <laughs> <laughs> well, you think what? Why? I mean, what's that doing in the New York Times Magazine? And the little they have a little thing that's called tips. They they tell you something you wouldn't have known. How to undress someone quickly? So when I had people for dinner on the fourth, I told them the headline and I said, "What do you think I was about?" And it was a table full of really smart, imaginative people. None of them could come up with that thing. And administering so, first aid? No, that was something they came up with, you know, like sort of like in a ER cutting your clothes off, right? Right. Um, oh, 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 Broadway show, changer, dresser. Exactly right. <laughs> so it's written. That's right. So it's written by a woman who had to get people's clothes off like and totally change their clothes in it sometimes as you know 35 seconds yeah 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 right right so that's what it was just wanted you to know that you know you don't have to read it because odds are you don't have to undress someone uh quickly uh but but that's her job how to undress someone quickly and it becomes obviously in a broadway show um a a really choreographed affair when changes have to be made. It's not like you can't not make it. You you know, if your character has to turn into a, so, a totally different thing and get on stage. You right. And, and, and there are several productions where one person plays several different characters, for example. That's right. Hamilton. Hamilton. Right. So that has to, that has to, you know, be something. So that, that's what it was about. How to undress someone. Yay! I figured it. No one at your August table figured it out, but your no, they got your kid's sister got it. <laughs> yeah, they they got stuck on the um, that it was a metaphor. How to undress someone quickly? How to you know? See, I don't know, but they no they whatever. I, An I effing metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they couldn't imagine what the hell. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> hang on a minute here. 
Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, Bob is reminding me, and this is something I did want to talk about because I went ballistic when it when it happened because <clears throat> I'd already um, mentioned uh, Carrie Richardson because of her, you know, just extraordinary, huge personality right. and her right. gift. Um, and I'm so looking forward to her, um, the Olympics, and, and to find right. out that... What? Are you hearing that beep? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, that's our mother. Mom! <laughs> Mom! Did she hang up? Yes. <laughs> well, she was making um, a call. <clears throat> well, okay. I was going to tell her, tell her to get on. We'll talk to her for a sec. Um, she's all the way down at the other end of the house. Do you want me to do that? No, it's okay. okay. It's okay. Okay. Um, so, uh, she's out because she smokes some pot. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was stunned that pot would be considered, I mean, steroids. Would be considered doping, right. What? How is this, isn't it not, do, isn't doping supposed to equate performance enhance, enhancement? Yeah, enhance your performance. And man, if you're stoned, I'm sorry, that's not going to help you sprint. I know. Sometimes my, box, my, my boxing trainer frequent sometimes asks me when I'm, Seeming a little droopy, a little early. Yeah, so yeah, did you do you something don't. before? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm. I heard somebody talking about that. Um, for some sports, you could maybe make a case that pot might benefit uh, you. It, 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 you know, they're not. They're, they're sports requiring you know incredible calm, like. I don't know what shooting uh, the gun. I, I, I don't know archery. I don't know. Do they do archery? Whatever. Should they do um, archery? They do. Yeah, one of my favorites. So I don't. I anyway. Uh, I just think it's. Um, I'm stunned, and I think it's outrageous. And I just want to say that. I well, think a lot of people do. I think. I think the 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 hullabaloo about the 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 woman turning away from the national anthem is appalling too, because I do think they set her up. I think they wanted to make an example out of her, and and it and I and it's and it's irritating to me. Be and and it's it, as I said to someone who says, "Well, they, you're representing your country," and blah, 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 and I thought, no, you know, I you can love your country. I mean, I I loved my my two my little kids when they were growing up, but I didn't think they were perfect, and I thought they needed to be corrected sometimes publicly, you know. So. I don't see the difference between that and your country. You love your country. It's not perfect. And sometimes you need to correct it publicly. Well, whatever. I, I you know, I don't listen that the cat's out of the bag with that. I mean, people are going to protest. Individual athletes are going to. And I wish everybody would chill. I wish everybody would stop having to be outraged all the time. And I and it's because we, you know, the media, again, look for these things that make us crazy. Right. Right. I mean, because let them do it. The no one pay, you they, know, just just yeah, yeah, just tell me who cares. Who Why cares? did anyone even have to know? Right. I, I'm sick of this crap. Well, and it's much another- the same as the media proclaiming Kamala Harris can't be president, you know, uh, in within the first year of her first right, term right. as vice president. Right. I mean, it's just annoying. They just, as hell. Uh, some man somewhere made this decision, and it's it's yeah, just being printed now everywhere. That's right, and right. it she and does. it pisses me off. Well, it's media not doing their job. It is not media not doing their job, and they need to get better. But you know, we're destroying media. It ain't gonna and- happen, right? It's not gonna happen. So, um, another case in point again from the week because that compiles all the stuff that grabs people's eyeballs. And um, it's the kind of thing that, yeah, made me crazy when I read it. And I thought there was no reason for me to have to know this, but it pushed my button. And here it is. 
Brandeis University is advising faculty not to use the term trigger warning. <laughs> What's funny about that is trigger warnings became the thing that all right. the words you're triggering me. Now you can't trigger yeah. trigger. No, you can't say trigger warning anymore because the word trigger has gun associations. And that in itself may trigger somebody. Okay. Okay. You now, know, does that not make your no? It makes it makes me. I. This is the one thing that I can't stand. Uh, that um, that, that I, you know, that everybody is such a delicate little flower that mm -hmm. we have to be careful not to say anything that could upset anyone. And by the way, folks. Anything could be a excuse, you know, a a thing that you press on a uh, on a <laughs> device meant to create harm. Um, anything, anything. Can trigger anybody. Yeah, yeah. So we can't. We're going to have to just not talk anymore. You just cannot talk or discuss ideas. Right for fear of uh, triggering. Oh, excuse me, someone. So also this same crowd of uh, idiots said. Um, they actually put out an updated list that is headed oppressive language list. I'll tell you what's oppressive, having an oppressive language list. Also on it, they say they discourage use of the term killing it for doing well and take a shot at for trying. Well, I'll give it a time stab. They're done, there won't that? be an yeah, yeah. But but you know, by the time they're done, there won't be an idiom. There's not a word. There's no idioms. There's, there's no, not a word. There's not. You cannot. You talk can't use a metaphor nor a simile for fear. No. Yeah. Everybody, you're just that it might push a button. You can say push a button. There's nothing terrible about pushing a button. Well, just wait. <laughs> I, I know that is. They scare no, me. I'll tell you why. <laughs> buttons. Oh, atomic bomb. No. Even, but I saw a piece about how those little button-shaped. Oh, the uh, button-shaped batteries, batteries. Uh, eat out your esophagus of a, yeah, of a child who swallows them. swallowing them and they're killing them. So, okay, so you can't say button. Because what if someone there had a child who was killed by a button battery? No, you can't talk anymore. I'm going to change the subject just because I'm looking out the window and I just saw a squirrel do the most marvelous thing. They are amazing. What he walked to the very tip of a very teeny little branch hanging mm -hmm. way out from the very top of a very tall tree. And I couldn't yes. figure out why he wanted to be there. And then he just leapt across yes. open space to the right, tree to about tree. 10 feet away and went on oh, with his business. Well, that was very cool. I just. They are amazing acrobats. I have been looking actually at a tree outside my yard while you were talking. And I'm freaked because there's a whole branch that looks dead that I never noticed. Oh, God. It breaks my heart. Uh, Bree in um, Malaysia is asking me an odd question. What are your impressions of Madison, Wisconsin? Why, Bree? Vis-a-vis -vis what? <laughs> yeah. I know lots and of good people uh, that that hail from yeah. Madison and uh, that no, are Madison regularly a, in Madison. It's a great town. It was. A, it was. I can't speak for it now. I mean, I lived there um, before I came to Pittsburgh, but it, it was a. it's a great town. Great little town, uh, beautiful and vibrant, and yeah, I you know it's a great town. Although a friend of mine happened to be there um, this weekend with her family, who live in Chicago, and they must have gone up to Southern Wisconsin just for the holiday. And she sent me a picture of her grandson standing in front of the state capitol building, and you know. It's, their Capitol building is absolutely gloriously beautiful, but 
I wrote back to her when I saw it. I said, I used to, I used to, you know, so love that building and to think of all the wonderful progressive politics and policies that were created there and came out of there. And I said, and now I look at it and I just think it's a nest of vipers. That glorious edifice is now filled with these right wing fascist wannabes. Right. Well, and, and, and Robin Voss, the most fascist of all of them, um, is in trouble for Trump for not with Trump for not being fascist enough. No, I know. It's just, it's, it's beyond belief. It really is. So no, Madison is a beautiful, beautiful liberal city. Um, You know, the university there obviously has huge sway, but state government's there. So it's, it has beautiful lakes. And we're about 50-50 politically, so every blue-leaning person that wants to come in, come ahead. Yeah, let's make more blue people. More anyway, blue people. so that's my that's Madison to me. Um, okay. And it, Madison Here's is just part of Wisconsin, which in general is really quite a lovely bucolic place to live filled with basically good meaning, nice people, you know? Uh, yeah. But they, they, those basically nice people elect people like 50% of them elected, uh, Ron Johnson. I don't think that'll happen. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't either, but you don't know. I mean, no. they, you know, the, the crazies have, uh, in fe- the, the, okay, who the hell I just can't, I can't take it anymore. As you know, I have little hope, little hope. And did you see that um, after the kerfuffle about Nicole Hannah-Jones, the yeah. woman who, who authored the uh, 1619 uh, piece uh, for- Right, and won the Pulitzer, Times, right. And then, and won the Pulitzer, and then was given a position at University of North Carolina that always comes with tenure, but was denied <laughs> tenure. Uh, and or it wasn't denied, it was withheld, and then finally granted. It was withheld, granted. fine. Well, yeah. So they finally, uh, because all hell broke loose, they reconsidered and offered tenure with it. And she uh, just announced, you can take your tenure and stick it. So she's going to uh, Howard uh, University. Which is great. Um, you know, I think for these, she's, you know, she's a MacArthur Fellow. She won one of the Genius Awards. And I love that, you know, even with her extraordinary credentials, this uh, Southern University would not grant her uh, immediate uh, tenure as it would if she were. Well, I think, you know, I'm. People need to understand how obvious what they do is, how clear their meaning is, how totally un, you know, you just can't read it anyway, but the obvious. Yeah. Right. And also, so why should she want to work for those white people? No, why should she? I think it's great. And what's even more wonderful is uh, she's going to Howard. And guess who else is? Yeah, that Coates. Yeah. Um, who's going to who's going to pursue his uh, his bachelor's degree at the same time? I think that's teaches, wonderful, right? And so the and he's a MacArthur Fellow. Another those are these two black geniuses, rather than going to the University of fucking North Carolina, excuse me, are going to go to Howard. I love it. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Screw those white folks. It's just, uh, you know, it's it's I, I it's it's just humiliating. Yeah, what? How hard is it simply to acknowledge something? I mean, this brouhaha about critical race theory, which I just, you know, I defy anybody okay. to even define it when they're so upset about it. No, you know what it is, Susan. It's just it's waving a red, you know, red flag in front of a 
Well, that's what I mean. You know, the, the, it doesn't it's just, have it. It's just stupidity. What you want to teach the that's I don't I don't even understand what they want to teach that there wasn't slavery that uh, there was slavery but everybody was happy and nobody profited off of it. I mean, what is it exactly they want to not teach? <laughs> you tell me. They don't want to teach the truth. <laughs> They don't want to teach. They don't want to teach the, history, the actual history of the country. But I can't figure out how you leave out the Civil War. Or, or you know, the founding and the slavery and 1619 and the whole bit. How do you do that? There was an incredibly moving piece um, about a white woman uh, living in Georgia, I believe, who lives in the most – actually, just so – here, I'll place her politically where she lives. Um, her district is represented by that Marjorie Taylor Greene. Greene, yeah. Okay. There. That's that's her, her neighbors uh, saw fit to send that uh, hate-filled uh, fascist uh, – to Congress, and 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 she came into her grandfather died and 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 left her his farm, which had been in the family for you know forever, well before the Civil War. And uh, she's a white woman. Oh, I read this piece. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and she started knowing, learning more about her family history. They weren't rich people. They didn't have a plantation. It's not that. But it turns out they owned at one point, uh, I believe, seven people. Sounds like a family. It was a man, a woman, some children. They owned slaves. And she is, I mean, would that there be more people like this woman? She's 41 years old, and she is on a search of what morally and ethically she should do with these 300 acres she is going to have. She feels and understands that the her family benefited from this owning this land, even though again they're not, <laughs> these are not they're sort of like poor white people, not poor but not well off. And she can't bear the fact that um, anyway they talk about her her odyssey and um, and what she should do. And she's reached out to many black uh, people, um, and they are not of one mind of what she should do, um, especially since the poverty rate in her uh, area is is more than twice the national uh, poverty rate. Um, it is... Uh, she said, if you tried, if I tell my neighbors that, you know, they have white privilege, they're going to look at me like I'm insane because they're dirt poor. Right. So she's really struggling, but she does acknowledge the white privilege. So because they be even, even dirtier and poorer. Right, right. How to atone um, for the sins of her family um so and and you talk about the stories you know the republicans wanting to change our history because it's unpleasant and when she came upon she came upon a paper that showed that yes her great 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 grandfather um owned it was seven people and I, she's holding this paper and, and she's saying, this is mine. 
the family story is mine. Am I going to stick this back in a drawer and forget about it? And, and she thought she has three daughters and she said, I, I want them to know their history. So she's not afraid of the history, but she's troubled by it. Yeah. And then looking further, guess what she finds out? The land was initially acquired because the federal government held a lottery in 1833. And guess what they were giving away? Land. They were giving land to white folks, land that had belonged to the Native Americans. Right. And as it's pointed out that key portions of the Trail of Tears are right near the valley she lives in. So that land was Native American land. The Native Americans were force marched to Oklahoma and their land was given away. So this land in her family, just 300 acres, was land that was appropriated by the federal government and given to white folks. And then black folks were enslaved on it. And that's a history for a lot of Southern white people that, yes, is difficult to take in. But it's reality. And, you know, she's in a situation where her doing this publicly, I mean, she, I I hope she's okay today because she's not, you know, she's been quietly doing this work. Right. Um, Her neighbors don't necessarily know about it. This is total Trump country. And the person who wrote the article actually contacted uh, the former chair of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, Mary Frances Berry, because she has called on the federal government to start a reparations super fund and figure out how to make some reparation for what happened to the Native Americans, to the blacks. And when she was told about this woman, listen to what she said. Any small sum that she could pay would potentially impoverish her and it would not be really reparative. And it could be dangerous for her. The risk I am talking about is not just about people shunning her, but the risk of people doing violence to her or her family. Some people may well take it upon themselves to shut her up. Mm-hmm. That's what Mary Frances Berry said. Wow. So that black woman warned this white woman, be careful. And she should know. I'm just, yeah. Yeah. Except, well, her doing what she feels is morally correct doesn't force anybody else to acknowledge anything. I don't know why. No, but I mean, no, no, she's going to once, once. She there was front page story in the in the New York Times. Yeah, the New York Times came calling. There are pictures of her black neighbors. There are pictures of the black minister who's actually whose support she sought and who she's been. Um, the the one black guy who's tried to um, help her said she's deep in Confederate country. Uh, trying to do this work. So no, black people are scared for her. Uh, 
And I, I think that is, uh, given our political climate, given the fact that we're seeing so many people incapable of controlling themselves, uh, who go ballistic and deadly very easily. How many people were killed in this country over the weekend? Did you see that number? No. It's over like 150 or something. We're a crazy place. We're a crazy place. Mm. Just saying. Okay, I got a question. Yes. Am I a bad person because increasingly I, this is things that annoy me. Do you remember when you used to be able to, you know, invite people over for dinner mm-hmm. and not have to ask each individual one what they would deign to eat? Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I just want to say this. I, I, I was at someone else's house eating uh, this weekend and uh, one of the guests was talking about um, having had uh, some folks over for dinner and my God, what he went through to feed them. I mean, he spent, he was in, and he wasn't complaining. He was just saying what he did. I'm the one who went crazy. And, uh, you know, I, I guess these were vegans. Okay. Yeah. It, it, vegans are tough. <clears throat> and, and, and the, and, but I mean, I know a guy that literally that, that has issues, uh, health issues with, with digesting meat fats. So in that case, I, I don't want to serve him anything that's going to make him sick, but yeah, but here's the thing. What? People have had these issues all forever. It's just now that we're all so entitled. Well, I have a gluten and I have this and I really don't right, like right, that right, right, and right, I don't right, eat right. this. And you know what? If somebody asks you to dinner, you go. Eat it. Or say and no. You eat whatever you can eat. So if you can't do meat and the host, unlike Susan, your host didn't know that, um, you eat whatever you can. Whatever happened to being a gracious guest, not expecting that someone's going to make seven different friggin' meals for you. I, I just, I so am sick of it. I'm sorry. And or, you know, or bring your own food. Well, but I, you know, I honestly, the people that I know that have actual health issues, that's what they offer. And and they offer it because they would prefer to be in control and not be accidentally poisoned by someone who goes, oh, the butter won't matter. <laughs> you know, or oops, I forgot, you know. So, I mean, people with actual health issues usually do. Um, and, uh, and it is very difficult to, to figure out how to deal with everybody's stuff. It happened to be, you know, for me, I used that I used to have a, I used to pride myself in knowing in my head what everybody liked to eat and move And then I would simply fashion a meal that worked, but it gets very complicated now with vegans and, oh, the one that, and, and the, and gluten-free, Ugh. At least you can make good tasting vegan food, but gluten free, this is a problem. <laughs> well, this poor guy, speaking of, he was, I forgot what he needed. He needed bread. Yeah. And he said, I was in the bread aisle looking at the small print on every package because they won't eat whey. They won't eat whey? Whey. W-H-E-Y. Yeah, I know, I know. W h e y. I'm just won't is different than can't. Won't. These are the vegans. 
they won't eat. I guess they don't. Yeah, eat yeah. Well, whey comes they from milk. Whey yeah, comes from right. milk. Okay, right. so, so how? And I'm thinking I would know more. <laughs> I am so sick of it, guys. Just go and push the food around on your plate like you did when you were a kid, okay? God, eat before you go. I or you or plan. you host the party. I mean, you know, yeah. I <laughs> right. <laughs> Just I have friends that I simply cannot have over. For I won't because I'm not going to become an anxious wreck trying to cobble together a meal they'll deign to eat. Well, I didn't the this the person that I'm thinking about, I didn't do properly twice and then when I finally figured it out, it became uh can I make a really delicious meal that that could, you know, happily feed this person that I would be proud to serve them and uh that we can all eat as well and then serve the protein on the side and blah 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 which I did and I and I learned a whole bunch and made up a few new recipes and they were absolutely delicious well that's wonderful and good for you but count me out I'm sorry well, but, you know, we come at this differently, Lynn. You were never a happy person in the kitchen to begin with, and I think didn't really start to cook until you had to, right? That'd be correct. And mm-hmm. I was, I've been cooking no, since I, mean, I was three. Yeah, yeah, you like it. I don't. Although, you know, I really worked at uh, mine this weekend because I was having people and I wanted, I did Well, you're a good all. cook. I didn't, I didn't mean yeah, to suggest but, otherwise, but no, no, yeah. no. But you know, and the one thing I was made, I was doing an absolute regular 4th of July. So there were burgers and, and potato salad. And one of the guests called me the day before and said, so you're making, you're making potato salad. And I said, yeah, first time I've never made potato salad. He said, well, of course, he says, you're not making it with mayonnaise. And I said, you damn well betcha I am because I'm making a traditional 4th of July. Um, and I could tell he was right there, you know, out. What did he so, want? Olive oil and garlic and a little? You know, yeah, sure. You know, a a more progressive, uh, uh, you know, mayo is just not, I I don't know. Anyway, it was the best thing I made. It was very time consuming. Jeez, there was 500,000 things in it, but it was good. I'm sure. Anyway. Did, yeah, this, did yeah. said person eat it? I didn't even look. Actually, the person I had been thinking of that I made it for was another guy who I know is a picky eater, but he just likes, he told me, I just like meat and potatoes. I could tell he's picky when I've been out to eat with him. So he doesn't eat fish. He doesn't do this, doesn't do that. So I thought, well, he's a meat and potato guy. I'll make him a traditional potato salad. And, you know, he was sitting right next to me. I said, I made this for you. And he looked like he was going to puke. Right. He wouldn't eat potato salad. It's got crap in it. Right. A potato person wants to be able to see the potato in the jacket with maybe some butter in there. All right. No, he wouldn't eat it. I actually said, you got to take at least one bite. I made it for you. No, you can't say that to you. No wonder he looked like he was green. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. All right. I think we're out of time, Suze. I think we are, too. Okay. Well, are you? Yeah, you're not going back to Chicago today. No. You're going Thursday, right? Yeah, I'm going to go back on Thursday. Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, continue your rehabilitation, uh, your R and R. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I still have a few beds to make, but other than that, I'm just. Oh, and I have to box. Oh crap. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. 
All right, that's your choice, babe. Yeah, I know, but it's good for me. Okay, and we okay. didn't even talk about uh, uh, um, oh, what perturb perturbation exercise, um, which I find out I actually do, but didn't know. We can talk about that some other time. Okay. All right, I'll go look it up. Okay, All right, you guys. Exercise. Okay. Bye. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Stay cool. See it. See it tomorrow. Okay. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.